Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are coming to Brisbane. That's right. You asked and you just literally would not stop asking. So we are doing a live Brisbane show. This is not a drill. On Tuesday, the 11th of February, 2020 in Brisbane at the Sit Down Comedy Club. So head to standup.com.au for tickets or check out the Loose Units Facebook page for links and event details. And thank you so much to all the Brisbane fans who have been so patient with this. We are going to pack this one out. It's going to be huge and it's going to be our first show of 2020. So do not miss it. Loose Units Live in Brisbane of all places. Tuesday the 11th of February, standup.com.au for tickets. See you there. When I was a kid, my mum was a cop. You see, my mum was a cop in the 1980s in Sydney, which has been widely regarded as one of the most dangerous times to be a police officer in Australia. So, can you imagine how hard it was to be one of the pioneering women of the New South Wales Police Force? Well, you don't have to imagine. Because after a book and two seasons of Loose Units, the podcast, my ex-cop mum is finally laying all her cards on the table and revealing exactly what she lived through. So sit back and enjoy Loose Units, Mum's the Word. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Loose Units, the podcast. Um, obviously, many of you all know that, uh, well, you all know that Dad was a cop. Obviously, that's the premise of this whole podcast. But there have been these mentions throughout the show of the fact that my parents met on the force and that Mum was a cop as well. So, uh, this is a very special treat. This is this is a very special one-off, once-in-a-lifetime treat. But please uh, make very welcome my mum, Christine Verhoeven. Hi, guys. Yeah, sorry. I, I structured that as if there was going to be an audience clapping for you. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll clap for me. Yeah. We'll yeah, yeah. Give you a little clap. Um, so, Mum, uh, first of all, what have you thought about this Loose Units project? Like, what's it been like for you watching Dad trundle off every week and record the show and do the book? Like, what's it been like for you? Um, it's been a very interesting experience. It's something that... I like to stay in the background and remain quiet and private. Yeah. And Dad's a lot more extrovert than me, and he <laughs> show off. But was on, he was in a little bit long, few years longer than me, and managed to work in areas that I didn't. Mm. Um, I have some comparable stories, but I'm a little bit more low key and laid back. So, you know, and also when I joined in 1978, and I was just seven, well, 18. When I joined, and then nineteen when I graduated. Yeah, um, it's very young. He's still a kid, and the late seventies and obviously the eighties were pretty different to what 
the world's like now as far as I suppose you could say it was the police force was very misogynistic but in saying that it was different then so it wasn't like you tolerated that behavior it's just that you'd roll your eyes and go yep you know you just rise above it and move on right and if it was bad enough obviously you'd say something about it and put them in their place Mm. but when I joined it was a combination of extreme fear and terror and excitement all mixed up together. Right. So, and it was the f- was something I decided to do because I left school and did a course in secretarial studies, which was very boring. Right, right. Worked in an office for a year and I thought, if this is what life, working life's like, oh my God, <laughs> like it's terrible. Yeah. So what can I do? And I saw an ad in the paper one day saying, join the New South Wales Police Force. And I thought, gosh, you know... I'll give it a go. So I did, and it took many months to be accepted and start at the academy at Redfern. Did you find that the application process was um, difficult for you because of your gender? Did uh, No, because at that stage, the New South Wales Police Force was trying to promote and there weren't enough women in the ranks because the women that had been in there until that point had worked... Um, they might have gone out and, and um, done the safety road safety talks at schools yeah. and things like that. And they they worked in plain clothes because often they'd have arrests and they'd have women in custody and things like that, but they'd never had women in general duties ever working out on the cars in, with ever. So our class at the academy yeah. was the very first class what? to ever have women that were being trained to be police officers to work equally with the men out in general duties. We were the very first class. I think from memory there was maybe 12 of us and two of us, myself and one other woman, went to North Sydney, Yeah. Um, the police station, and we were the first women, and they didn't quite know what to do with us. So <laughs> there was no women's toilets, no locker room, separate locker rooms, mm. and they didn't quite know how to handle having two women. The other lady was a lot bigger in stature than me and a bit tougher and a little bit older. Yeah. So she could stand her ground a bit better than me. Um, Do you mean against um, other police officers or uh, criminals? Or? Yeah, well, just more against the actual attitude of the police we work with. A lot of the male police were thinking, well, that's a bit dangerous working with a female. Like, the, the, the crooks will be laughing at us. Like, how can we make an arrest? They they're not suitable for the job. We need an extra person on the car. You know, we we have to have three on the car instead of two because we've got a woman with us. It's a disadvantage. It's you know, not not then they're, they're not equal basically. So the first day we arrived at the station was a day shift, just as an introductory thing. And I remember she turned around to me in the locker room, and they had issued us with these vinyl handbags that didn't have a long shoulder strap. It was just a strap long enough to put over your forearm (laughs) and a baton that was big enough to fit in this small handbag. Oh, God. And your police official notebook, of course, uniform, shoes, all the rest of it. But she said, come here. And I said, what? She said, hand me that stupid bag and that baton because if we have to use that baton, they're so close that it's not going to be effective anyway. Like, Right. You know, it's... By the time they get close enough for you to use it, it's, yeah. Well, what's the point? Give it to me. So she got it off me and we threw it on top of a locker and there they stayed. We never got them out again. So, <laughs> I don't know. So, 
And Did they, presumably, they gave you like something else to defend yourself, right? Like well, you, you had guns, presumably. Yeah, yeah. We have. We had. Um, now the women were given Smith and Wesson um, five shot five shots, a smaller handgun, <laughs> like a fucking Derringer or something. And the, the the men got the six shot, and we got the five shot because that is crazy. They we got the same other appointments with the handcuffs. Yeah. In those days, you didn't get batons, batons, or um, you know the other bits and pieces they get these days. We just got the. Our firearm yep. and our handcuffs mm-hmm. that sat on our belt. Yeah. Um, and because we our uniform was a straight A-line skirt. Oh, Jesus, that's right. Winter and summer. So winter was navy blue and summer was a light blue um, that didn't have any movement in it. So if you had to chase somebody or climb over a fence, you'd have, have to say to your male colleague, turn your head for a minute and you'd hitch your skirt up over your... <sighs> over your waist and jump the fence and then pull it back down again. Um, Were there police issues smelling salts? Like, oh. <laughs> and then and then the, the, the jacket was like um, uh, was like a little bolero jacket, like, a, like kind of like a similar to, like, I suppose, like a safari suit type jacket with a button up front. Right, right, right. And then, but the women weren't allowed to, to you couldn't see your appointments in public. By your appointments, what do you mean? The gun and handcuffs. So, so right. they had to be, the men, they didn't mind if they showed... Mm on their uniform, on their belt, but for the women it had to be covered. Oh, my God, which obviously makes that that makes it harder for you to get to it, right? Yeah, it was bizarre, really bizarre. So, anyway, um, started there. My first shift at, at the police station was a night shift, seven, night, seven nights in a row. Mm. And the very first night I worked there, we got called out to what they call a persons on premises. So it was this big, from memory, a big factory complex or a big... Um, maybe a gymnasium or something. I can't quite remember. It was a very long time ago. And there was a couple of police cars that went to there and they were apparently armed. Um, a couple of armed guys had climbed in through the roof. They'd done an armed hold-up at this, a Sorry, bottle... this, is, this is your first shift. Yeah, there was an armed hold-up at a bottle shop in North <sighs> Sydney or Mossman or somewhere and they'd, they'd escaped on foot and ended up in this big warehouse. And we had to go in there. It was pitch dark. Didn't know where the lights were and find these guys so climbing around in the pitch dark on my first night thinking what have I got myself into um how old were you at this point again that was uh, I was 19 19 year old and were you uh buddied up with uh a woman or a man man so I had my buddy Mm -hmm. plus the driver so the buddy was the observer the senior officer on the car and I was in the back of the car and what was their energy like obviously this is a new thing he was fantastic he was a lovely guy who had a young wife and a baby, and he was actually a really, really nice guy, thank mm. God. Mm. Um, and for the first few weeks, you didn't actually, well, you just followed in their footsteps and did what they did and listened in and watched what happened. Yeah. But at some point, they had to let you loose and say, okay, um, whatever incident it was you were going to, you were the one that had to get out your notebook and start writing down information and interviewing, um, whether it was a victim or a suspect, you had to start getting ready to actually do police work. Mm. So I held off as long as possible because <laughs> I was very, you know, not confident. I was very quietly spoken and not that confident. But eventually after a few weeks I started doing um, jobs like we used to do a lot of um, being the area that we worked in. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of motor vehicle accidents. Right. And it wouldn't matter whether it was just a broken tail light or... There was not even a scratch on the other car, but they just 
doesn't happen these days, but they used to call us to everything. So that was like a good, it was a good way to learn to interact with the public wearing a uniform because it's a very, it's, it's, it's not like you become a different person, but it's like all eyes are on you. You're the focus of attention because you're wearing the uniform. Yeah. And for women to be out on general duties patrolling in a car with the men in 1979 was a big deal because not, the public had never seen that before. How did the public react? Well, oh, different reactions, a whole range of reactions, but most of them were they just accepted you, you were wearing the uniform and doing your job. Mm. Um, and then I remember probably within about... Oh, it wasn't the first set of seven nights. Maybe it was like um, three or four sets of shifts later. Um, we had a call to a serious domestic where the woman said he's trying to bash the door down. Mm. So it was that was night shift again. It was like one in the morning and I was in the back of the police car and we just went for it. The driver was a very good driver, mm. um, but he just went hard and it had been raining so the road was really slippery. And next thing we know, it was this particular area of Sydney where there was this old stone sandstone wall down one side mm-hmm. and whatever speed we were travelling I don't know but we lost he lost control of the car and we had a head on with this wall oh, Jesus. and we wrote the police car off <laughs> I didn't thank God <laughs> okay. and we all had to get rescued out of the cut out of the car but none of us had anything except for a few bruises it was pretty miraculous actually right and then we got on the police radio the other car came the other police car mm. from the station came down to check out what was happening and help us and the only thing the station sergeant could say was, oh, God, all the paperwork I've got to fill out. Like, that was not how are you. Like, <laughs> too much paperwork. Yeah. Um, so that was about probably a month into the job. Right. But at this point, obviously, um, we were talking before, I'm dying to see how this warehouse story pans out. So on your, well, fir- on your first night. Well, it turns out there were two young guys that are, somehow they got up on the roof of this big building and they lifted out a panel and climbed through into the roof cavity but we heard the noise and they got apprehended mm. and arrested because basically they were the ones that held up the bottle shop at gunpoint right. so they were armed mm. and dangerous mm. um so everyone got a pat on the back for a job well done i didn't do much except walk around in the dark looking for helping apprehend these two guys really scared but excited and scared at the same time Mm. um and i actually said to my buddy i said what do i do if i open one of the side doors and there i am standing he said well pull your gun out and shoot them (laughs) and 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 don't miss did you ever have to shoot your gun in the line of duty um i i did actually pull it out a couple of times but i never my buddy well one of my Mm. work buddies that I worked with down the track, another story, Yeah, where we got confronted with a guy with a shotgun. He actually did fire a couple of rounds. Oh, okay. I, this is interesting. So um, how did this this uh, incident start? Like, were you just called to a regular thing and then it escalated or? No, it was actually up the road from the, fire, from the police station and um, we drove up there. It was a couple hundred yards up the road, but mm. there were, it was the police station where I worked was next door to the courthouse. And there was court staff, so a couple of the girls that worked behind the counter in the court. And they lived up the road in a flat. They were flatting together. And um, we got a call from this young guy saying, oh, this this bloke, he lives downstairs. He's tied us up and he's he's 
assaulted my girlfriend and I've managed to get away and we're thinking, what on earth's going on here? So we said, just give us the address and stay there. Don't move. Wherever you've gotten yourself to to make the phone call, don't move. Yeah. It turned out that the young, we walked into the front area. No, no security blocks back then. Just walked straight in the front door of the block of units right. and walked past the ground floor unit and started heading up the stairs to the first level and the door was ajar, so we had our fo- we had our firearms out because we didn't know whether the offender was inside there. Mm. And we pushed the door in, and it turns out that he had tied up the two girls that worked in the courthouse. Oh, Jesus. And he'd, he'd raped one of them, and then he'd bashed the boyfriend and tied him up as well, and he'd managed to get untied, and he was using the phone inside the flat. Yeah. And the guy that had um, committed the crimes that had the shotgun, apparently... He said, oh, no, he lives downstairs, that place, the flat they just ran past to get up here. So as we came back out the door, there were two cars, so four of us. Yeah. We came back out the door. We rang the ambulance. We rang the station. We need an ambulance. We need some more police up here. And then we turned around to go down this flight of stairs, and then all we could see was the barrel of this shotgun <gasps> coming out of the crack in the door, like, <gasps> towards us. And we didn't know who was holding the gun or whether it was loaded. We didn't know anything about it. So... My partner, mm-hmm. um, he fired off two rounds, which ricocheted off the stairs. And then as this young guy came out, he's only about 16, came out with his shotgun, my colleague launched himself <laughs> off, like literally flew through the air and just totally crushed him, oh gun and all. I mean, it took a big risk because the guy could have let the shotgun off. Mid- yeah, absolutely. But just it, the, the guy looked so young and he thought, oh, my God, like he... Sh- fired off the shots not realising the age of this kid, but right, that's right. irrelevant really. Mm. Um, and then once he saw his face, he said, I just couldn't do it. So he thought, what can I do? So just in an instant, he went flying through the air, crushed this guy, and later on it turned out that the mother of the offender yeah. had um, applied for and been granted a shooter's licence and bought all these firearms for the son. Uh, uh-huh. and, and there was enough ammunition in that little flat to, to hold hostages and have a siege for a week. It was just unbelievable. But he had lots of other firearms as well, not just a shotgun. Right. So he was apprehended and arrested, and then the mother lodged a complaint with internal affairs that we treated her son too roughly. Uh, By not shooting him? Well, by jumping, by by, by flying through the air. So we all had our firearms out, but we never got to fire them except for my my partner. Right, okay. Um, But that that was only after a few months that I was there. So there was always... It was diff- I don't know what it's like these days. It was just different. Whatever turned up, that's what you went to. And we, because of our um, positioning, our station, um, we weren't too far away from a very fairly famous bridge that people used to decide when they were having a hard day that they might. So warning here, mm. um, people might you know, not be having such a good time in their lives and decide they want to try and jump off this particular bridge. Sure. So it wasn't, a, and was between us and one other police station that was in the other direction as to where on the bridge would you believe whose job it was. So they'd say that they had someone that was climbing up on the bridge and we better go and check it out um, <clears throat> and get talk them down, basically. Sure. And they'd say, well, which end of the bridge is it? Not, let's get there and help. It was like, which end of the bridge? Because 
Oh, it's like if someone's kicked the ball into someone's yard. It's, it was bizarre. Right. So I was saying, but this person needs help. Let's just go. And they're saying, oh, no, but it might be on the other side. And then it's the other station. I'm thinking, no, no, let's go, let's go. So we ended up on this particular bridge, which is very famous. Yes. Um, and that was, I don't know, maybe I'd been in for the year and maybe I was out of my probation period. I can't remember. Mm. Um, I was still junior on the car. So I must have been still in the first year. And there was a young guy. And basically we spent the next two hours, just the two of us, and then another car turned up with the station sergeant might have come down to help. Mm. And we basically just chatted to him, just sat there and just said, look, we'll just sit here and talk. Don't need to do anything else. And eventually he climbed back down. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We stopped him from jumping off. So, and... In this day and age, I suppose you'd go back to the station and you'd have counselling and you'd have a debrief and it'd be a whole process of protocols to go through mm. post that event. But back then, you'd get back to the station and the sergeant would say, oh, it's been a bit of a tough night. Do you need a cup of tea? <laughs> it's very British. <laughs> yes. Let's, let's have a nice pot of tea and you'll feel better and tell me about it. And that was that was it. That's how you dealt with it. Bit of Earl Grey. Yeah. That's frightening. Yeah. You mentioned to me a couple of years back that you were um, involved in a thing called Romeo Squad? Yes. So what's Romeo Squad? Well, for a short time, um, the powers that be decided that there was a whole spate of uh, juvenile crime happening in that particular area Mm. um, and that it was out of control and that we needed a squad that just focused on the juvenile crime. And there'd also been a spike in sexual assaults, serious Mm. sexual assaults. Um, and basically in those days it wasn't called sexual assault. That particular, it was called rape, but sexual assault. So what they did was they decided they'd bring in this particular squad called the Romeo Squad. For goodness sake, why they called it that name, I have got no idea because it was so not related to Romeo, but that's just someone came up with that name. And myself and one other police officer there were two shifts, so like two 12-hour shifts, and for three months, and we'd have a couple of days off, 
obviously, all go, have to attend court too. Yeah. Um, we just attended all the absolutely most serious sexual assaults where the the female would end up in hospital in such bad, poor condition. Mm. Um, and we'd have to conduct the interviews and do the investigation. Oh, um, and um, then we would go and attend all the really serious juvenile crime as well. So it was pretty full on. So I spent three or four months in that particular role, uh, which was enough. enough. Because, yeah. and, and then, of course, many, many months after that, there were there was court to attend as well. But now, obviously... Um was this something that they recruited women specifically for, or were you just picked because you had an aptitude for dealing with people? Um, I think it was a big thing to do with the fact that I was a young female. Okay. Um, and that, you know, they obviously would have profiled me and thought, yep, yeah, she'd be pretty good. She's pretty earnest and hardworking and committed to the job. And this wasn't in the first year or two. This is probably about, it would have been maybe the end of the second year. Okay. Beginning of the third year, around okay. that time. Um, so I would have been 21 or so. Um, and it was an experience, but sad stories, extreme bad stuff. Yeah. Um, which I blot out of my mind a little bit. Um, but do you you think that, um, seeing those things that you saw whilst in Romeo Squad, um, do you think it was good for you in some way? Did you, did you get, do you feel good that you got to help people in those situations or do you feel like it took a toll on you a little bit? I don't think I... Ever, ever felt that particular few months that I really helped anybody. Really? Yeah, because I was very young myself, and it's different when you're at that age. Maybe it's different now with the world. It's a different world now. But mm. back then it was, you know, there weren't mobile phones and there wasn't really the internet as we know it. Mm. There was nothing like that. So it wasn't – it was a smaller world. It was just my world, you know, like yeah. my world, my family world, my my world that had my friends, my family, and where I lived and my job. Like mm. it was just this small window. Um, so I didn't think that I made a big difference in that few months. I felt like I did a really good job, mm. but it was so intense and full on. I didn't really have time to think about whether I was having a good effect. I probably felt more effective as a police officer when I was attending other matters like I'd go to individual serious domestic disputes and manage to calm the whole situation down and get to talk to the the female the victim of the if there was a crime if it, if she'd been assaulted and yeah. you know convict because back then it was more often than not that it was up to the female to say yes I want to press charges and if she and mostly they would never say that because they were scared of ramifications so they wouldn't mm. press charges um, except if there was a serious injury and obviously there had to be a police charge laid. But um, basically um, oh, there was probably, and I don't know why this one incident sticks in my mind, and I actually got to talk um, before the Invictus Games, a particular organisation that I work for now, um, they had a lot of frontline people from military ambulance, police, and I got to talk as a member of that particular workforce as an ex-police officer about my experience as a frontline person. Right. And that's the way I like to look at it. it was, it's frontline. Police and emerg- all emergency services are frontline. Yeah. N- different to the military, but still frontline. Mm. And I, this is the story I told 
um, in front of the people on that day when I was talking about frontline stuff and it was early one morning when I was finishing night shift before I got to finish night shift just about to sign off and there was a report of a car off the highway off the freeway near where the police station was um, and would we attend because there were no other cars available everyone else had already clocked off and the people that were coming on shift hadn't got ready to sign on so myself and my colleagues said yep we'll zip up there and see what's going on and it was a young nurse that had run off the road coming home from night shift and hit the wall and the post on the side at fairly high speed and she was trapped and the front the whole front engine bay had come across and you couldn't really see her legs from about maybe three or four inches above the knee but I could see that the metal had cut very deeply through both legs um and she was saying, oh, I can't can't feel my legs and do you think I'm okay and talking to me? And she was young. She was maybe my age. She was my age. So all I could do, that I felt like I made a difference that day because I, I said, okay, my colleague said, look, you hold a hand, you stay with her and comfort her until we get the ambulance and the police was police rescue back then to cut her out of the car. Hmm. Um, and basically I think she'd probably amputated both her legs it was that bad um and she was in terrible shock of course and didn't feel pain just didn't feel anything really and wanted to know when she could go home and why weren't we letting her leave the car and she wasn't the brain and the body weren't connecting of course she was in terrible shock yeah yeah so I just held her hand and patted the forehead and told her that everything was okay and I wasn't going to leave her I'd stand there until someone came to help her and I took I stand. I stood there until the police rescue, like within about twenty minutes, said, "Look, you'll have to move. We've got to cut her out of the car." Mm. But I stayed with her, and I never knew what happened after. I never got to follow up and find out whether she made it or not, because I think deep down I didn't want to know. Really, I just thought that's you know, it, it's it's heavy, and because I was her age, so yeah. it was a matter of I did what I could for her. Right, right. right. I did my best. Yeah. You know, and I gave him something, and I helped her. So, Dad used to talk about. I, I used to get confused that Dad didn't um, follow up. He'd tell me these stories about these things that happened and these people he became invested in. And I'm like, "Well, did you ever find out what happened to them?" And he's like, "No, no, I just, I basically at the end of a shift he'd clock off and he he wouldn't follow up." Did you ever take your work home with you? Did you ever get curious and no, follow things up? You couldn't. You ha- the way that you managed to deal with all of the things that you saw and experienced was that you would. Basically, go home. Mm. If it was night shift, you'd go to the gym or go to sleep or whatever you did to when you finished your night shift, mm. and and you just had to switch off. Like you wouldn't forget that person or forget that incident, obviously, um, unless it was ongoing where it was an a, an investigation, which didn't normally in in uniform. You, you the ongoing part of it would be where you've made an arrest and you had to go to court, okay, and give evidence. Mm. Um, and would you go to a court where, because I know Dad talked about going to Manly Courthouse a few times, but he was stationed in North Sydney. Like, what kind of experiences did you have in um, courthouses? Well, I found them daunting, right. <laughs> like everybody does. It doesn't matter which side you're on, mm. they're still daunting. Whether you're the offender or you're the police that's, you know, the prosecution or defense whatever it is it's just they're daunting places Mm. they're scary places for everybody um i don't know anyone that feels relaxed in a court (laughs) i don't like i don't think you should well 
it's 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 scary because if people if people weren't bailed <clears throat> you'd have to they'd be in custody and then you'd go to the court the next morning mm. to see whether they were given bail or not or kept in custody and then they'd be transferred across out of the police station yeah. um and then you'd go home so and then you'd have to attend a court whenever the court date came up you'd be given the notice to go you have to go to court and give your evidence mm. um and i was found that pretty full on the only time I remember that I didn't mind going to the coroner's court I once had to um, attend a nursing home where an old lady had passed away and basically what had happened was that that in those days they didn't have any um, temperature controls on the water right and she had a bit of memory loss and she wandered off and got in the shower herself without supervision and turned on just boiling hot water and she ended up with such bad burns all over her body that within a few days she got bad infections and she passed away. So that's why we had to attend mm. when she was taken to the hospital. And I ended up going to the coroner's court, and because of that court case, mm. um, that resulted in an investi- further investigation and a review, and that's when they brought in the... Um, legislation that, that, that all of the nursing homes or care facilities had to have temperature controls on the taps so that they couldn't burn themselves. So that was a good outcome. Well, that probably saved a lot of lives, you know, mm, in the long exactly, run. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I really hope you've enjoyed this part one episode in Loose Units, Mum's the Word. Uh, it picks up again next week, so make sure you keep your ears peeled. And also, there's a few tickets left for the live Adelaide Loose Units show. So make sure you head to facebook.com forward slash loose units to grab your tickets and we'll see you next week for more mum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. 
Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.